Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. I'm so glad you're with us today. We're starting a brand new series entitled Courageous Faith. It's on the book of Daniel. If you've never spent any time reading the book of Daniel, the Old Testament, um, you need to. And this will be, I hope this whole series will help you really get into it in a whole new way. Um, the whole idea behind Daniel, the study in Daniel, is standing firm in a time of compromise. Daniel was a young man who lived in a culture that didn't appreciate his faith in God at all. And um, oftentimes he was misunderstood at best, persecuted at worst, and had to deal with a lot of temptations to compromise, a lot of opportunities um, to uh, not stand for what he believed, but he stood firm and he stood strong. And so I think as we uh, enter a phase in our culture where many times uh, some of us who've uh, all of us who've grown up here, I mean, I'm in my 50s, and the idea of uh, where we are as a culture is stunning to me on some of the things we used to believe and used to hold as a culture are no longer held. And so there's a lot of instruction here about how do I live now and how should I respond to this? And so uh, it's interesting. It's one of these things where uh, I wanted to go through a series on this last year, didn't get a chance to, but now it seems more relevant this year than it did last year. So I'm really glad we have a chance to go through it now. Um, but uh, I know you're going to get a lot out of this today. So inside your bulletin, you'll find our first installment, and this is entitled Daniel Convictions and Wisdom. I want to welcome those at Cloverdale and Pike Road and Wetumpka as well who are joining us by video. Um, this is something we all need to hear. How do I live out my faith? If I'm going to be a Christian, how do I live out my faith? Well, it's one thing to live out my faith with, if I'm surrounded with everybody who agrees with me. What if I'm surrounded by people who don't? And so if you've ever wondered that question, wondered, well, how am I supposed to do this now? Uh, this is a series for you. If you need a pen, by the way, to fill in the blanks as we go along, raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring one to you. This is a series I think you want to take a lot of notes on. Let me have a word of prayer uh, for us, and we'll jump right in. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, um, I get horrified when I see uh, pictures of Christians in another part of the world uh, lined up by terrorists and executed for their faith. I am deeply troubled when uh, people in our own country uh, are shouted down if they're a Christian and not even allowed to speak in certain situations. Um, and sometimes I don't know what's going on. I feel almost a sense of vertigo in our culture where all of a sudden the things that I thought that we all agreed on, we don't. And how do I live up my faith when um, people now openly mock it and um, mock Christian values and virtues? And don't care what the Bible has to say. So today, Lord, I pray that you'll speak and encourage us. You'll show us some things we need to know. Lord, um, I believe you've put us exactly where we are. And you want us to live out our convictions. So Lord, show us how to do that through the life of Daniel. I thank you for his wonderful example. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. By the way, that's why we look at stories. This uh, You'll see point one in 605 B.C., God punished the people of Israel because they chose to worship false gods of other nations and refused to repent. If you underline, refused to repent. God punished them because they refused to repent, and um, he had uh, carried out a punishment he promised them long before that. Um, by the way, whenever we talk about something, I put the date on here, 605 B.C. There's plenty of archaeological evidence for the people who lived during this time. There are many who will challenge the Bible and say, well, the Bible's all made up. This is all mythological this is no different than Aesop's fables, just like Br'er Rabbit and uh, other things like this. It's like, no, no, there was, there's no real Br'er Rabbit, okay? There was a real king, Nebuchadnezzar, and there really was a Hebrew king, Jehoiakim, 
and who really was deported to Babylon in 605, right after the Battle of Carchemish, when uh, the Babylonians and the Egyptians got into it, and the Babylonians won. And there's tons of evidence for this, okay? So this isn't made up. These aren't made up people. This, is, this happened. Now, how God inter, interplayed with all of this, that's the part where the Bible explains to us that the other historical sources obviously won't. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal families and other noble families who'd been brought to Babylon as captives. And so um, the Babylonians, uh, today, modern day, Iran, Iraq, that area, had traveled all the way down, made war against Egypt. On the way back, they conquered uh, Palestine, Israel as well. And they went into the temple, took some of the sacred objects. Um, they took the king at that time, Jehoiakim. If you were to look up, I had another reference there, Second Chronicles 36. They led him off in shackles. And they took a number of the princes and nobles, the young the best and the brightest of Israel, back to Babylonia. That was their way of assimilating uh, people they conquered into the Babylonian culture. They would take the best and the brightest, they'd bring them into the palace, and they'd acculturate them. They'd, put them, they'd give them a Babylonian education, they'd dress them like Babylonians, they'd give them new names, you'll see all that in a minute, and they would assimilate them into their culture. And that way when they wanted to go back, they wanted countries to rule themselves, they would just put a king in there who would do what Babylon wanted and pay the appropriate amount of taxes, and then they could run it themselves. Um, and so that's what the Babylonians preferred to do. And Daniel was part of the crew that was first taken. Babylon ended, Babylonians, the Babylonians ended up coming back three times, two more times, because the, uh, uh, the kings that they put in charge there, the vassals or the puppet king, if you will, in Israel, they refused uh, to pay the taxes that Babylon had, um, had asked them to pay, even though the prophets of God had said, hey, you better, not, you better pay that. Um, they didn't pay it, and they were all executed eventually, and uh, Jerusalem was destroyed in, uh, five, in, uh, yeah, in 586. But here's what happened. Here's a note here. Moses had warned the Israelites this would happen if they ever turned away from God. The Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. You'll attack your enemies from one direction. You'll scatter them, and, but they will scatter. But you will scatter from them. In seven, the Lord will exile you and your king to an, a nation unknown to you and to your ancestors. And there, in exile, you will worship gods of wood and stone. You'll become an object of horror, ridicule, and mockery among all the nations to which the Lord God sends you. And so Israel had been promised when they came into the promised land. It was land that God had promised them. He said, "I'll be your God." And you'll be my people. If you honor me, then I will honor you. If you're faithful to me, I'll bless you. I'll protect you. I'll make you stronger than all the nations around you. But don't worship their false gods. There were pagan deities in abundance. Moon gods, sun gods, all kinds of gods. And it usually, when they uh, worship these gods, it usually involved child sacrifice or sexual immorality of incredible nature. And uh, God knew that if his people got involved in this, their hearts would be turned from him. And yet that's exactly what the people did. And God had warned them, if you allow this to go on, and God had warned them about this for uh, 900 years earlier. When Moses had led them, 800, 900 years earlier, when Moses had led them uh, out of Egypt. 
And that's when all this was given in Deuteronomy. And, and God had been patient with them. He had sent prophet after prophet to warn them, you're going the wrong way. Stop, turn around, you're going the wrong way. And finally it was clear that people refused to repent. And so God lowered the boom and said, very well, if you're going to worship other gods, then what I prophesied through Moses will happen. Not only will you worship other gods, you'll be dragged away to another nation and they will make you worship other gods. And for 70 years you will do this until you've had your belly full. And then I'll bring back a remnant to the land. And that's exactly what happened. And there's a life application for you and me. You and I must never harden our hearts against God. When we know something is the right thing to do, and we say, well, I know it's right. I wish I, I, wish I had never heard this, but I hear it all the time. People coming in, and they're compromising on their marriage vows. They are cheating in business, and now they're in trouble with the law, or they're getting investigated or something, and they're terrified, and uh, other things about, yeah, that was that shady deal, and I know I shouldn't have been in on it. I knew I shouldn't have done this. Will you pray for me? Well, yeah. But where it starts is, is like, I'll be glad to pray for you. I'll be glad to help you when we can. But goodness, y'all, when we know something's wrong and a friend pulls us aside and we read something in the Bible or we receive a warning from God, it's terribly important that we don't harden our hearts. David wrote this in Psalm 95. It's quoted again in Hebrews 4, 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Would you read that out loud with me, please? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. How could God be speaking to you today? Well, I pray all the time that the Lord will speak. I mean, if you want to know, this is why virtually every sermon I begin, I pray, Lord, would you speak and move me out of the way? Now I'm thinking back whether I said those exact words when I started this message today. If not, then that's what needs to be prayed right now. I want God to speak to you. I want uh, the Bible to speak to you. And, but we must not harden our hearts. All of us know these things. You can be in a conversation and somebody's making you mad and a thought comes into your head, I'm going to say it. And then there's something that comes, there's like a little warning in the back of your brain going, don't say it, it's going to make it worse. Okay. And then somebody else said something else. I go, I don't care, I'm saying it. And as soon as you say it, the words are out, you can't pull them back in. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. All the husbands nodded right away. Oh, yeah. That was a bad decision. And you knew you shouldn't have done it. This is what we need to pray for all the time. If you want a great prayer, turn that into a pray, prayer every morning. Today, Lord, if I hear your voice, help me not harden my heart. Just write that in. T turn it into a prayer every morning. Today, Lord, keep my heart from getting hard so when I hear your voice, I won't harden against you. I'll listen. I'll do what you say. Today, Lord, keep my heart soft, so I'll do what you say. God warns us all the time. Sometimes he warns us through a good friend. Sometimes he warns us through our parents. Sometimes he warns us through our children. And the people of Israel wouldn't listen. And so God came through with a promise that he'd promised them. He sent prophet after prophet, warning after warning, and the people wouldn't listen. So he said, okay, if that's what you want, then here you go. It's a tough love thing. And it was painful and horrible. And Daniel and a number of others uh, were caught up in the judgment. And they were carted off to Babylon. They were led there. And uh, they were enrolled in the king's service. A king named Nebuchadnezzar, who ruled pretty much the whole world at that time, the known world. 
Well, that brings us to point two. Daniel wisely lived out his convictions in the midst of a culture that was hostile to his faith. The Babylonians uh, were pretty convinced they were the mightiest nation on earth because they conquered anybody who challenged them. And they had a whole pantheon of gods, and they believed their gods were mightier than the gods of any other nation and blessed them. And so they didn't worry about that. They just they, they knew other people had other gods that they worshipped, but they just believed their gods were better. And one of the things they wanted to do is they wanted to assimilate people, as I mentioned ago, into their culture. So here's what happened to Daniel and a few others. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men, the king Nebuchadnezzar had said, the king of Babylon. Make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Then train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. I mean, uh, the ancient language of Akkadian was probably what they would have learned. Um, And the Babylonian arts of uh, all the things of their sciences, even of how they practice divination and magic. And you'll hear about that in the weeks to come. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, and they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, and they were all from the tribe of Judah. Now the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. It's important to note here that Babylonians wanted to change the Hebrews' identities as God's people by changing their names. Daniel in Hebrew means God is my judge. That would have been their native language. And the L part of Daniel is the, what refers to God as Lord, um, the God of heaven. So if you've ever heard the expression of the name El Shaddai, for instance, well, L is the part of God. And so you add a descriptive term after that each time where God is faithful or God is strong or God provides, that type of thing. But El means God. So Daniel meant God is my judge. His name was Belteshazzar. Well, Bel was another name, the lord of the city of Babylon, a god named Marduk that was also called Bel. And so Daniel's name was changed to Bel will protect his life. God's not his protector or his judge anymore. Now Bel will be the God of the Babylonians. Hananiah, God has been gracious in Hebrew, became Shadrach under the command of Aku. And Aku was the moon god. Mishael, who, um, who is what God is, became Meshach, who is what Aku is. Again, a moon god. And so with... Hananiah and Misha and Azariah, the Yah part is the God part, like Yahweh, the, the I-A-H part in English. Azariah, God is my help, became Abednego, the servant of Nego, and he was a co-leader in the pantheon of gods, the God of wisdom and writing. And so the Babylonians were trying to change them, trying to acculturate them, make them fit in. They gave them a diet to change their lifestyle. They gave them an education to change the way they think, and they changed their names to strip them of their identity as the people of God. That's what was going on. And that's why I think this is such a timely thing. You and I, in certain times in our culture, we feel like that's happening here, where you present a biblical idea and people won't listen. And they go, well, I don't care what the Bible has to say. The Bible's just a bunch of myths. These are old documents that aren't reliable anyway. Why would you listen to that? And Christians sometimes don't even have a place to say anything. Well, Daniel was certainly in a place like that, as were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And this, if you turn your page over, this brings us to point A. Daniel refused to compromise his faith and convictions. They changed his clothes. They enrolled him at Babylon Polytechnic or whatever it was. Okay? And they uh, changed his name. But when it came to the diet, Daniel and his friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they'd been raised uh, during a time before the final king who was let off and changed the chains. Uh, the, the father of that king was a good king by the name of Josiah. And he had served the Lord. And Daniel and these three others apparently had been raised in godly homes. And they'd been raised to obey the commands God had given them in the Old Testament, including their diet on how they were to eat. They had eaten kosher food, obviously. But uh, when they got to Babylon, there was food there that was presented to them to the king's table. From the king's table, the food had been offered to Aku and to, um, to El and to all the other gods. The food and the, the meat and the wine and other things had been offered. And Daniel and his friends couldn't eat this because they knew this would compromise them and make them unclean. And they said, this is something we cannot do. And this was a line too far, and they had convictions. This is Daniel 1.8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself. And if you'd underline determined not to defile himself, you can read it in other translations. It will say, Daniel made up his mind. But he, and on this, not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And he asked the chief of staff for, for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. The point of this verse is... Um, not to get us to all adopt a kosher diet, but the idea here is simply rather this, that Daniel and his friends said, no, this is a point of conviction. I won't do this. I don't know what the consequences will be, but this is where we draw the line. I have to stand for who I am. You forced me to, you drug me here and changed. You changed my name. You put me, you enrolled me in school. But on this, I have to draw the line here because this will defile who I am. And they wouldn't do it, and they had convictions. Now, what's really interesting here is that we know about Daniel and Mishael and Hananiah and Azariah. We know about, we know about them because they took a stand. I meet people all the time, and they say, I want to be used by God. Oh, I want to be used by God. And it's like, well, to be used by God, we have to become godly people and take a stand on our convictions. And in a little while, you're going to hear about, we need to do this with wisdom and tact. But we need to, first of all, make sure we know what we believe and do we really believe it. I mean, there are a lot, there's lots of wishful thinking. And a lot of us have opinions, but do we have convictions? There's a difference between opinions and convictions. An opinion is something you hold. A conviction is something that holds you. It's got a hold of you. You're not, you're not giving up on this. A conviction is when I put on the wedding ring that I'm not going to look at any other women, that I've got my own bride and she's good enough for me. That's a conviction. When I do premarital counseling with people, I go over the part where we put on the ring and it, part of the ring vows are forsaking all others, I cleave only to you. Well, forsaking all others means I'm done window shopping. Does that make sense to everyone? Hey, if I'm happy with what I've got, why am I still shopping? Well, how does that apply? Well, why would I be looking at pornography if I've got the woman that, all the woman I need? If I like the car I drive, why am I still test driving others? It makes no sense. And that's a conviction. Convictions are what are going to hold us when temptations come. 
A conviction is, I'm not going to cheat on the test. Everybody else is. You're crazy not to do it. Mm -mm. That had compromised me with the Lord my God who made me. I want to be honest even when it hurts. I'm not going to cheat on a test. I'm not going to cheat on my taxes. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Oh my goodness, y'all, God is looking for people who will live out their convictions. If I'm going to live in a culture that's unfriendly to many of my values, the first thing I have to decide is what are my values? What do I believe? What do I really believe? What are my convictions? I remember when I was in uh, student ministry in Houston, uh, working with a number of high school kids, a ministry called Young Life, the high school where I was doing ministry, there was a lot of partying that went on on the weekends. I guess that happens at every high school. And um, there was a group of kids that I'd been praying for to reach out to. And there was one young man in particular. He was just kind of the lead of all this and uh, came from a family where there was lots of money but not a lot of parental supervision. And so he'd host a lot of wild parties all the time. And there was nobody around. And after one of those parties, he and his girlfriend got out and he had a convertible. And they were driving through a street in Houston and... Uh, uh, he lost control of his car and hit a bridge abutment, and she wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and she flew out and was instantly killed. Well, the whole school was horrified. There was a big assembly, and, you know, the picture of the mangled wreck of the car. The young man survived. He was in jail. Um, but there was a, pictures of the wreck. They had police officers there. They had counselors there. And man, there was just a widespread understanding in the school that all this partying had to stop. And some of the wild partiers all said, yeah, we're done. And that lasted about three weeks. And then a month or two later, now they're raising a glass to the friends who passed away. Well, what happened? Now, some people, that was the end of it for them. But a lot of people, they just had opinions. They didn't have convictions. And you and I can be that way too. We can have opinions, but not convictions. And say, hey, is this really going to change in my life? Or it could be, hey, I'm going to study the Word. I'm going to read God's Word. That's my opinion. It would be good for me to read God's Word. Well, when are you going to start? It could be in my opinion, hey, dads need to be home more. Husbands need to spend time with their wives and date their wives. Well, a conviction is when you actually write it on your calendar and make the appointment and say, this is when I'm going out on a date. An opinion is, yeah, I ought to do that sometime. And Daniel was a man of conviction. I can't do this without compromising completely who I am. And I'm not going to do this. This is a bridge too far. I won't go there. I won't go there. And because of that, he is honored in Scripture. There's a life application for you and me right after this. The best way to develop and maintain godly convictions is to meditate on God's Word. Well, where do we get our convictions? Well, if we spend time in God's Word, God's Word will speak to us. He'll warn us. He'll guide us. Jesus talked about this in John 17. He prayed for his disciples. Right the night before he was crucified, he's praying for the disciples, and he's praying for the people that his disciples would teach. That includes us. And he said this, I gave them your word, the godless, this godless world hated them because of it, because they didn't join the world's ways, just as I didn't join the world's ways. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but you guard them from the evil one. Make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. And in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. 
And God would, and Jesus was praying for them. He said, Lord, I don't want you to take them out of the world. I want you to consecrate them by your truth in the world so they can stand for me. And that's exactly what Daniel did. You could drag the uh, Hebrew boy out of Jerusalem, the God-fearing boy out of Jerusalem, but you couldn't take God out of the boy. My wife has discovered that. I grew up on a farm in Kansas, out in the country. You can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy, okay? Just by the way, I act on some things. She goes, were you raised on a farm? I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, that explains it. All right, but anyway, uh, the idea is, is that, hey, what, would, God, would God be able to identify you and me? Are others able to identify you and me by our convictions? The Word of God is living and active, Hebrews 4.12, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. If you and I want convictions, we read the Bible, because as we're reading it, it's the most amazing thing. It happens to me. It'll happen to you. You are sitting right in the middle of a Bible reading session, and all of a sudden, wham, God speaks to you. I need to forgive somebody. God speaks to you. I need to quit procrastinating. Has this ever happened to anybody else besides me? Okay, I'm the only one. Anyway, uh, the idea is, look, seriously, has this ever happened to anybody else besides me? Raise your hand high if God's ever spoken to you. Well, this is how you get convictions. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. But that's why one of our convictions even needs to be, hey, I'm going to be serious about my relationship with the Lord. I'm going to spend time with him. God is looking for people of convictions, not just opinions. Well, in my opinion, that's something good to do. Are you doing it? No. It wasn't just an opinion of Daniel. Hey, I don't want to eat food that's been offered to idols. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to defile myself that way. I won't do it. I made up my mind. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, yeah, us too. We're not doing that. That's too far. And here's what's really interesting. He lived out his faith and convictions with wisdom intact. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has, offered that you, who has ordered that you eat his food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths of your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. I mean, that was the problem with Nebuchadnezzar. You showed up late for work, you might not ever go home again. I mean, you didn't mess with this guy. If he told you do this, you did it, and he could cut your head off if you didn't obey, literally. So Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed to him by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. And so the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for others. This is not a passage on that we should all become vegetarians. It's not. But it was for Daniel because those were the only, that was the only thing left. The, the meat and the wine that had all been offered to the pagan gods, the water and the vegetables, were fine. And Daniel was saying, look, I just want you to understand, I'm not trying to get you in trouble. I just need, these are my convictions. I want to live out my convictions. Can you test us for 10 days? Okay, for 10 days, I can do it. At the end of 10 days, God had blessed them for their faithfulness. But Daniel used wisdom intact. The life application for you and me out of this is we must live out our faith and convictions with wisdom intact. 
Live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be grac- gracious and attractive so you'll have the right response for everyone. See, the hardest thing about living our convictions is we need to live it out in a way that other people want to join us. I mean, Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, they were uh, people who lived out their convictions, but he did it in a way that, the, that God uh, could bless them. And God gave them favor. And God wants us to do this, the same thing with our friends and neighbors. He doesn't want us to yell and scream at them and talk about how worthless they are and how stupid they are. And that's just not a good way to be a positive witness for God. In fact, uh, one of the things we hear in Colossians here is that we're supposed to live wisely and pray for wisdom and tact. If you'd write in the margin here, James 1.5, just pray for this. Uh, God promises us there that in his word that if we ask for wisdom, he'll give it. God, how do I live wisely when I have neighbors who don't embrace Christian values? Man, I pray for this all the time. We will have friends or relatives. We'll have people who openly disagree with us about Christian values. Well, we need to pray for a lot of wisdom. We need to be very careful in the words we choose. And some of the translations of the conversation, being gracious and attractive, they need to be filled with salt and light, seasoned with salt, so that the conversation is actually better. God will give us wisdom. We can talk to other Christians about this. Would you pray with me? I want to be a positive witness in my neighborhood. I don't want people, I don't want to yell and scream at people and try to demand they believe what we believe. I just want to live out my life in such a way that they understand that this is real. And God will honor that. Well, God blessed Daniel and his friends for their faithfulness. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. And when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and no one pressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in matters requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. There's a life application for you and me on this, that God honors faithfulness and punishes wickedness. Here's a marvelous quote from Andy Stanley I heard uh, a while back. He said this, God is not looking for influential people he can make faithful. God's looking for faithful people he can elevate to positions of influence. Let me read that again. God's not looking for influential people he can make faithful. He's looking for faithful people he can elevate to positions of influence. Daniel and the other three, they were slaves. They were people who'd been carried away from their homeland. But because they were faithful, they were elevated to positions of influence. You and I can wring our hands and go, man, if that actor, if that athlete, if that political candidate, if they would take a stand, think how many people they could reach. And yet the Bible makes clear over and over again, God chooses to use ordinary people to do his ministry. He wants to use foolish things to shame the proud. Do you know that God is looking for ordinary folks like you and me who will just live out their convictions? I mean, back to what I said a little while ago, people say, I want to be used by God. Okay, let's be used by God. Where does it start? Let's spend time with God and ask him to develop godly convictions in our lives. God, help me be a faithful husband. God, help me manage my money well. God, help me to be the best worker I can be at my job, the best student in my school. God, help me read the Bible and understand what it says so I can apply it to my life. I want to be honest and kind and pure. 
And I want to live out those convictions in front of my friends and neighbors. If you and I will do that, God promises to elevate us and put us in a position where our light can shine. And that's what Jesus told the disciples. He said, if you're, you're the light of the world, you don't hide it under a bushel, put it on a stand. And if you and I will just do these things and say, God, would you show me where to stand? He'll show us. This is his desire. And so how should Christians live in a culture that turns against them? Well, first of all, we need to make sure that we're not just cooperating with the culture and develop some convictions. Spend time in God's word and do what it says. And then secondly, we need to pray for wisdom and tact as we live that out. We don't want to be seen as people who are angry and mean. We want to be seen as people who are loving and kind. Does it mean that people won't reject us anyway? No, of course not. But there'll be many who will be won over because we lived out our faith in a consistent and godly way. I hope this makes sense to you. I need to ask myself these questions. Am I a person of convictions or just opinions? I mean, again, I wish I could tell you this never happens, but it happens all the time. Look, I know what I did was wrong. But, and now we're dealing with the consequences of willful sin. Daniel was somebody who said, I know that's wrong, and I won't. And I don't care about the consequences. Well, yeah, but it turned out okay for Daniel. Well, he didn't know that at the time. I mean, God elevated him. He wasn't guaranteed of any of that. I mean, think about this. This is a young man. He's dragged away from his friends and family. Maybe his whole family was killed. We don't even know. Dragged away to another culture, told he had to speak another language, write in another language, wear different clothes, eat different food, go to different schools, learn everything. They even changed his name. But the one thing that would have completely compromised him, the one thing that would have made him defiled before God, even in his private prayers, would have been if he would have given in on this and he knew it. And so did the others. And so they didn't give in and God honored them. Because they ate what they could, God blessed them and gave them unusual abilities. 1 Samuel 2.30, God said to the prophet Samuel, I will honor those who honor me and I will despise those who think lightly of me. 2 Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed toward him. Y'all, if you and I want to be used by God, and people say, well, how do I know what it'll look like? How do I know what God will do? Well, we don't. And we could play that game all day long. What if Daniel hadn't done this? I don't know what would happen. Chances are there were, I mean, apparently he was just one of many others. He and those other three were just part of a large group of people who were dragged away from Jerusalem. We don't know what happened to the rest of them. Maybe nobody else took a stand. But they did so, and they took a stand with wisdom intact. They weren't demanding that everybody else eat what they eat. They were just saying, no, this is what I believe, and I want to be able to live it out. Can you allow me to do this? And that brings us to the last point, and this is a point that I would hope you would hear in every message we have in this series. God is in control even when it seems like he's not. God's in control. God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. God reigns over all the nations. And you will see in story after story in Daniel, in each chapter it shows again how God is in control. If you missed it, 
It said, during the year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, in the first paragraph we had on the first page, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him the victory over King Jehoiakim. Later on, it said that when Daniel asked for favor, if they could eat that diet, it said that the Lord gave, God gave um, special favor, that God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Then it said that God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding, and God gave Daniel a special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. God gave victory to Nebuchadnezzar. God gave favor to Daniel and his friends. God gave them the ability to be ten times better than everybody else. So in the midst of all these troubles, God was working through his faithful people. I can't control the whole culture. I don't think any of us can. But you know what I can do? I can determine if I'm going to live by my convictions. I can determine if I'm going to pray for wisdom intact. I can determine every day, Lord, help me not harden my heart against you. It's kind of like that whole deal when people come to you and they're really angry and they yell at you and so you, you yell back and then after it's over you go, well, that was handled very childishly. I can't determine if you walk up to me and yell at me today, I can determine how I'm going to respond. I can't determine what the whole culture is going to do. I can determine whether I'm going to have, be a person of godly convictions. And so can you. I mean, the wonderful news we have through Christ Jesus is Christ died on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins, to forgive us all of our sins. And Jesus said, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you, and when I leave to go prepare a place for you, I'm going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to you, and he's going to fill you from the inside out and change you from the inside out. He's going to show you the way to go. He's going to reveal God's word to you. He's going to help you be people of conviction. He's going to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Jesus promised all that. And so for us today, the only question is, as we live in the culture where we live, the question is, will we live as godly people? It begins by saying, God, I'm a sinner. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to go through my life stuck in a rut. I don't want to go through my life trying to keep up with the Joneses. I don't want to go through my life grieving over something that happened in the past. I want to give the past. I want to give the future. I want to give the present. I want to give my appetites and desires. I want to give it all to you. And God, I want you to fill my life and make me the person I need to be. I want you to shine out through my life. And what Christians have done to remind themselves of what God had done in their life and what he promised to do in their life, what they've celebrated over and over again, is they've celebrated the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to have a word of prayer for us today, and then after that, here and at all of our sites, we're going to take communion together. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I don't want to be um, a phony or a hypocrite. The opposite of a phony or a hypocrite is Daniel. Lord, he was dragged away, he was pressed into service, his name was changed, those were things that were all thrust upon him. But Lord, the food that went into his mouth was something he could control. And this would have compromised his right standing with you because his conscience was sore against this. God, I thank you that he was a man of convictions and so were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And God, I want to be like them, and I want to learn from these lessons. God, if you're in control, then, Lord, I can trust that you'll develop godly convictions in my life. If you're in control, then I can trust that you're going to bless me and protect me.
in any hardship I go through, you'll guide me even through that. If you're in control, Lord, I pray that you, I know that you'll give me wisdom intact. So I come before you as a sinner. I confess my sins and say, I don't know how to live life as I should. I come before you as a person who needs your Holy Spirit and say, God, fill me up and make me the person I need to be. And I come before you, Lord, as someone who never wants to forget that. So today, Lord, as we take Holy Communion, Lord, I pray that you remind us again that you died on the cross for our sins. Your blood washes them all away. Your body was broken because you paid a penalty that we could never pay. You rose again on the third day. You've conquered death. And you promised us your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that you will fill us up. Lord, I thank you for who you made us. I thank you that even though we live in a culture that at times seems to be at war with us, Lord, I pray that we will not give in to fear. I pray that instead we use it as motivation to be more committed to you than we've ever been. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.